Sales can't do it alone and marketing exists to make sales easier. This is Three Marketers Walk Into a Podcast, episode 66. You're listening to Three Marketers Walk Into a Podcast, brought to you by the fine folks at Response Suite. We all know we're supposed to sit down with a big sheet of paper and write these buyer personas, these like customer avatar things. It all sounds well and good, but what I really want to know is how am I supposed to use them? Hey, this is Rob and Kennedy. Hello. From Response Suite. And uh, I hear you've been shopping this weekend. I have. I hate shopping. Do you like shopping? I actually really enjoy it. Do you? Yeah, it's one of my favorite things to do. I don't like it at all. We went for a nice quiet stroll around one of those shopping mall things and it ended up walking past a suit shop. And you know what I'm like with a suit shop. I ended up going in buying a 450 quid suit or something, three piece. I'll, I'll be sporting it in the coming weeks, if you please to hear. Excellent. I'll we'll make sure nice, we put it? a picture on the podcast. Yes, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely will. You'll have to make sure you check us out at Response Week and we'll, we'll pop a picture of that very soon. Um, anyway, this, this week we are speaking to Douglas Burdett. I feel really privileged that we're now in a place of the podcast where we're getting to speak to some of the people who I respect the most. Like we got, we called in friends who are respected at the most at the beginning, which is what you do when you start one of these things out. But now we're speaking to like new people who I've been following for ages. And Douglas, if you don't know, is the host of the Marketing Book Podcast, which is one of my favorite podcasts to listen to. I listen to quite a few podcasts, but I do love Douglas's podcast. But you were quite frustrated, weren't you? You were quite disappointed. I was, yes, because he happens to be funnier than us because his background's <laughs> in stand-up comedy. So we <laughs> can't annoying. have that. So we've edited most of his bits out. Yeah. So yeah, we made him dry and boring and we sort of put some booing noises <laughs> in the background, <laughs> which, which will be great fun. So yeah, we're going to get into that in a second. But before we do, we're going to go over to Rob's all-important quote of the week. Yes, because as they say, if there's Coca-Cola on a Monday, then there's no pig in the freezer. Isn't that stimulating? Because sometimes there is, and sometimes there isn't, and it really, really drives deep, that one. We've been speaking to a lot of, a lot of listeners who've been emailing, by the way. Thank you for all your emails. Really appreciate that. And if you're tweeting us, uh, thank you again for that. We do tweet back and we do read every single message, and the same with all the reviews that you're leaving us. Really appreciate it. You can tweet us at Response Suite, drop us an email, do whatever the heck you like. Leave us a review, for goodness sake. Leave us a review. It helps us to know that we're doing a good job and helps us to know what you want to hear. It also helps us spread the word and get the word out about the podcast to bring all these nuggets into more people's ear holes. We've made that really easy to do, by the way. Just go to responsesuite.com slash iTunes. You can do it right there. There you go. If you're an iTunes listener, there you go. Cracking. Well, that's good stuff, isn't it? By the way, talking of good stuff, we're hosting a really lovely web class. We've been getting great feedback off this web class over the past few weeks and we're doing it all again. Hmm. So if you're the kind of person who does some email marketing but you're a little bit dissatisfied, a little bit disheartened with the, the number of people opening your emails or how much you're able to sell with your emails, we'd love to invite you along to come and join in with our web class. You can go and register right now by going where? Just to responsesuite.com forward slash webinar. Okay, it's completely free. Come and join us and we'll, uh, we'll share all of that really good stuff with you. Well, I think, I think we've covered all the things we're supposed to say, haven't we? I think so. Let's get speaking to Douglas. If you can hear someone flicking lots of pages of a book, it's that's because Douglas Burdett is on the Three Marketers Walking Into a Podcast. Douglas, how are you? Oh, great. Great to be here. Very excited and uh, hope that this is going to be helpful for your listeners. I think it's going to be massively helpful. I know it is, but I've got a bone to pick with you. Because you know, once I paid this business coach guy quite a lot of money and he spent a few hours banging on about this thing called uh, buyer personas. And I was like, oh, it sounds like it's going to be a lot of fluff. So let's talk about this buyer persona thing. Where does it fit into like real life practical business application? Well, first off, that coach should probably go to marketing prison because uh, they probably didn't know what they were talking about. <laughs> and if, if I had to guess, they were probably making it more complicated than it needed to be. Hmm. So uh, they're in you know, this digital marketing world that we're all in. They're, despite what agency people uh, will tell you, and full disclosure, I'm an agency guy, <laughs> uh, there is no secret sauce to what we're doing. But I think... In my experience, uh, what's pretty close to that is using buyer personas, uh, particularly as is described in Adele Ravella's book, Buyer Personas. There's just five insights you need to find about them. And that uh, gets you really close to a deep understanding of your customers 
And after you know, reading a few hundred of these books that have been on the Marketing Book Podcast, the companies that win are the ones that have the best understanding of their customers. So is this bipolar thing related to the same thing as this customer avatar we hear so much about? Is it the same thing? Sure. And it, it, it could be. It could be a similar thing. It's important not to get wrapped up in... Um, you know, what the, what the, the terminology is. It, it, it depends on how whoever's describing the uh, customer avatar. But generally speaking, it's a, uh, an, an example or an archetype of a real buyer uh, that gives you some insights into what their world is like and what their uh, hopes and dreams and fears are. And uh, then that enables you to better understand them Uh, From a marketing standpoint, it helps you to create better, more helpful or relevant content to the point where a prospective customer says, this company, they really seem to get me. But more important than marketing, it helps companies to better develop products and services and basically the way they run their their, uh, companies, uh, the way they deliver their services in such a way that it's actually uh, something that the customers like better because they better understand them. Imagine that. Imagine running a business where you only develop products that customers actually want to buy because there's been loads of us who've, I mean, I'll admit it, I've done it myself. I've developed products, spent lots of time, money, effort, love, passion, (laughs) developing products that I thought were fabulous. And other people said, oh, they're fabulous. And then you put it out to the marketplace and Nobody hands over their cash. So one of my questions has to be around, we're talking about personas, not persona. For an organization, how many personas should there be? Well, it depends. Uh, In Adele Ravella's book, she explains that most companies need fewer than they think they do. So what I would suggest is rather than developing multiple personas, start with one. So which one should you start with? Start with who is your most profitable customer or who is your most profitable targeted customer? Because sometimes companies will come to us and they'll I will say, tell us about your customers and they'll tell us who their customers are. But then they say, well, well we want more of these kind of customers. So either one of those. But I would start with that one. Uh, start with one, the most important one, and uh, get your company uh, used to that. Use it. And then uh, you, can, you can add others later. For instance, you're familiar with the company uh, HubSpot software. Of course. Marketing automation software, we use it. And um, they started with a few, uh, I think they started with just three. And then they added a few others. But the, the first three were the, the really the most important ones. Really interesting. So when we sit down with a blank piece of paper or a blank whiteboard and we're ready to start doing this, maybe you know, as a new business or maybe as a business that's been going for a while but actually hasn't really done this yet, maybe doesn't understand their customers quite as deeply as they should, what are the first questions that we should really be asking in order to get the right level of understanding? Well, the first thing, let me frame it in terms of these five rings of of buying insight that she talks about that we find so helpful. And we do these kind of interviews. Would that be all right if I kind of walk you through what the five of them are? And then basically in an interview, there's only one scripted question. (laughs) I feel like this is amazing because what we're going to get now is like a two for one. We're going to get her interview and yours at the same time. Let's do it. (laughs) That's right. Well, hers was better than me, but... uh, um, So there's these five things that she calls and maybe they're a little bit of a jargony term, but I think they they work pretty well. And basically, the first one is a priority initiative. And that is, what is it that triggers your buyer to seek a new solution? So what she means by that is, uh, business people, they may have a hundred (laughs) priorities, but something happens that makes three or four of them bubble up to the top where it's suddenly very important. Right. So uh, there's something that is telling them that they can't keep the status quo. They've got, they've got to get off the couch of complacency and actually do something about it. Now, does that mean the boss is screaming about it? Was there some competitive threat? Was there a legislative change? Was whatever. What is it that prompted, you know, if you can go back to that scene of the crime and figure out what is it that, for instance, your, your company, your, your software, what is it that prompts a prospective customer to start looking for the solution to a problem that your product might actually help with. And they might not even know who you guys are yet. 
Right. So that's a that's the priority initiative. So really, the only question that you ask in one of these interviews, which only takes twenty to thirty minutes, is take me back to when you first uh, determined or decided that you wanted to seek a solution to this problem. Notice how I didn't say when you first decided you wanted to buy from us. Right. Because okay. nobody's ever decided that really yet, have they? No. <laughs> right. So, so then the second one is uh, what they call success factors. And uh, what do they need from your solution? And if it's like lower cost or greater productivity, that's not the right answer. What it means is um, what do they want emotionally from that? In other words, do they want to be seen by their peers uh, as competent? Do they want to keep their job? Are they, um, do they want to feel uh, like they're more in control? So you need to go one or two levels deeper from an emotional standpoint. What are they looking at? Uh, for instance, we had a, a client, we did a plan, we did this for, and they were a cybersecurity company and they were working with uh, healthcare. Mm-hmm. So we went and interviewed these chief information security officers for these healthcare organizations. And what, what was it they wanted? They wanted their fellow department heads to understand that they couldn't go around buying medical instruments that were connected to the internet. <laughs> That's what they wanted help with. That's how, and they wanted their boards of directors to understand that this was a ticking time bomb. Right. So in other words, the, but, but it took a little bit of peeling of the onion. Okay, so perceived barriers. That's, you know, your, 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 your child is ugly. Meaning... <laughs> not your children if you have them uh, or the listener, <laughs> but it means what gives your buyers second thoughts about your solution. So in other words, um, and they might not even be valid reasons, but it's reasons that they may think. Like for instance, uh, let's say you're selling widgets and they think, oh, you guys don't sell um, titanium widgets. You only sell chromium widgets. Right. But in fact, the titanium ones work even better, but they, there's a perceived barrier there where right. they think, oh, I have to have a company that has this or that or whatever. But if you can find out what those perceived barriers are, and please ignore the fact that most of them are illegitimate, it's right. what's in their head that matters. And this then the buyers... To, this is starting to sound a lot like the classic SWOT analysis, isn't it, But of, of the product? Well, of the... Um, I'm not sure. I think that it has more to do with uh, just getting inside the, the head of your mm-hmm. customer. Okay. So, okay. so then the, the, la- the, the second last one is the buyer's journey, which I think we've all heard about, meaning like what, when, when, they, when they did go and finally decide to buy, what, what did they do? Was there a team? Was there a, a committee? Did they, you know, what are their requirements? Everybody has, uh, what is the buyer doing as best you can tell? You know, the buyer's journey is not linear anymore. It's more like a modern art masterpiece. It's just very, very sloppy. But what are some of the things that, that they tend to go through to figure out if they want to buy from you. And then the decision criteria is the last one. What is actually the most important things to them when they're buying from you? And almost every time it's not what the client company thinks it is. (laughs) In other words, the things that are important to the customer where they make the decision, uh, it's not really the most important. Particularly like if it's a technical product, a lot of the client companies will think, Oh no, no, it's our, it's, uh, it's our product. It's how well it's made. It's how we make it. No, <laughs> it's usually not what's really uh, the deciding factor for the, uh, for the buyer. So if you have those things, um, it, it's really helpful. And it's, uh, you, you, you interview folks. So you can imagine there's only one scripted question, but you're trying to probe for those, those five simple things. Don't let your salespeople do it. Um, and the reason why is because um, Salespeople, they may already know the customer and salespeople are, have a different motivation. What you're trying to do, you want to think more like a therapist or a, you know, a, a psychologist trying to better understand what's going on in that customer's head. Okay, so then you've got that and that just uh, demonstrates this deep understanding of your, deeper understanding of your customer. The other thing I wanted to remind folks of is that you don't have to do this perfectly. You just have to do it a little bit better than your competition. And from what we've seen, if you just do it a little bit, it has an enormous impact on uh, your customers or your prospective customers' uh, reaction to your company. They think, wow, they really, they really get me. And what's, what's even funnier is that we'll come back to um, our clients. Uh, we do this with new clients and they'll 
and we'll present some of these things. And there's a couple things they'll say. One is they'll say, man, you really understand our customers. And which, you know, is kind of funny, but all you had to do was <laughs> ask them these, <laughs> ask a probe for this sort of thing. And, you know, no knock against clients. They're, they're busy, you know, doing their thing, um, running their business day to day. Um, and the other thing that we've heard is they'll say, boy, this is a great reminder that there's a lot going on in our customer's world long before they ever get to us. Mm. It's interesting to think about the point at which, a point in that customer journey that we all talk about, at which point is it that we actually enter the conversation? Which point do we do that, isn't it? Yeah, and it's, it, it's, it's, uh, that's a great point because what we'll do or a lot of agencies uh, do or should do is we'll, when we start with a new company, a new client, we'll sit down, we'll have like a workshop with them and we don't necessarily need the marketing people there. We need all the salespeople and anyone that is customer facing. And the purpose of all that, which is um, born out of the, one of the, a book that was on the podcast by Marcus Sheridan called They Ask You Answer. And I, I yeah, learned- Great this. book. One of our favorites. And I, I, I even had some training from Marcus uh, huh. on this, so some workshop training. And um, he's, he's on the, the Douglas Burdett uh, uh, man crush list. And, <laughs> and there are women on the man crush list. I just don't have a better word for that. But usually several of the authors that have been on the show, I'm just, I'm head over heels. Sure. And uh, basically what you do throughout the day is you are, we're, we're in there like dentists trying to extract teeth, but we're extracting what are all the questions you get from your customers? Because a lot of that is content that they could be putting on their website. In other words, people say, you know, and the sales guys will go, oh, here's a question I answer four times a day. It's like, oh, please tell me that. Because that could become some bit of content that you could put on your website, but also you could be arming your sales team with tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we, but the, the, the point is, back to your, uh, your question, most of the questions that we, that we leave the workshop with tend to be questions that are about the last third of the buyer journey because, because they engage with these companies after they've sort of self-educated or, or done a lot of research. What this does is it fills in that first two-thirds of what's going on in the buyer's world, and that's where the real helpful content comes from. But, and then we sort of, there's sort of three circles. We do the buyer persona interviews to get all that information. We get all the information from the client about the customer questions. There's mm-hmm. just a little bit of overlap. And then you just do a little bit of, um, you know, keyword research to make sure you're using terms that your customers in fact use because, um, you know, the, this, my favorite story is that of the prosthodontics, the prosthodontist uh, type of dentist year, years ago, they were using that on their websites. And then they didn't realize that everyone searching for help was using cosmetic dentistry as a term. So huh. you want to make sure, you, in other words, you, there's, there's, there's terminology that you probably use within your company, but that might not be exactly what you're... Totally alien to everybody else. Yeah. And in terms of when you go out and do these customer interviews, you know, we're probably, most of our listeners are already established businesses, got customers and all that stuff's great. When, you, when you tend to go out and do this, Douglas, do you tend to, if you're already an established business, do you only speak to existing customers? Do you ever speak to ex-customers, sort of people who've left to find out what happened there? And also, do you ever speak to prospective customers in terms of where they're going to go forward? Or is it really more important just to stick with the existing ones? What's your preference there? That's a great question. Generally, you want to talk to some existing customers. And the reason why is because um, you want to talk to someone who kind of went through that process of, you know, having a problem present itself and then going through all those, those five rings of insight. But the very, very, very best interviews are the ones where you can interview a, an individual who considered your client or your company and ended up buying from someone else. They're so really, yes. They're, well, they're very candid. They're very honest. And they may say, no, we had to go with someone else because of some simple reason. Mm-hmm. Or back to those perceived barriers, they'll say, oh, we thought we had to hire a local company. You know, or, or whatever the, I mean, I'm sure everyone listening to this has been in a situation where they weren't selected by a prospective customer for a reason that was <laughs> not valid. Right. And they wish they had been able to sort of bring that up in the sales process before. And communicate. Yeah, you, for sure. You sometimes can't combat that thing until you find out what it is and then it's too And what's late. really nice about those customers who chose to go elsewhere is they've got nothing to lose 
by telling you the truth because they're not about to upset their current suppliers. They'll just be absolutely honest. I remember oh, about 15 years ago, I, I didn't get a bit of work off someone. And I said, I rang them up and said, hey, can I ask you a question? You've given the work to somebody else. Can I ask why? And just please be absolutely honest. And they said, yeah, because the people we hired were three times your price. And we thought you must have been terrible or inexperienced or not ready for it and weren't a good fit. I was like, that had such a big learning curve for me. It's, yes. it's amazing what you find out, isn't it? Just that brutal honesty of the work you lost. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. And that's, that's a, that's, such a great lesson for your listeners of um, when com- there some companies, they have a sales process and when they don't get a deal, they have a step in their process of please try to find out why mm-hmm. and have a conversation just like you described. Right. It, right. It, it's a very powerful thing, but they'll think, okay, we just got to go on to the next one. Screw them. They were idiots. They, you know, no, no, no. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's a big learning opportunity there, just like you described. Yeah, yeah, now, that, big, yeah. Now, this is so powerful. We're going to get back to it in just a second. But first, we're going to interrupt proceedings to play our first game of the episode. Now, Douglas, obviously, you have the Marketing Book Podcast. That means you read lots of books and therefore you read lots of words. And so we've got a game that's all about words. Yeah. Yeah. Shoehorn it in. So, what we've got is we've got. I hope they're English words. They are English words, uh, but well, yes. some of them aren't. And that's, that's the kind of the game. So the game is, we're going to give you a list of 10 words, one at a time. You've got to tell us whether you think that's a real word, that's a real English word, although be a that's, in the, that's in the dictionary. It's actually in the dictionary. Or is it a word that Grace, here in our office, our partner coordinator, just made up this afternoon? So that okay, is, is but, but however, in the dictionary. Sh- What's that? I should say that, uh, what was I think? It might have been Churchill who said uh, the British and the Americans are a, uh, a common people divide, or uh, they're a people divided by a common language. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. Absolutely. That's right. So this will make this even more fun. Absolutely. So, so that's yeah. why when I'm watching some British films on Netflix, I have to turn the subtitles on because <laughs> I don't know all the words they're, uh, so they sometimes use. It's more for uh, modern films. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. Okay. Here is your first one of 10. The word is bumfuzzle. All one word, bumfuzzle. Is that a real word or is it made up? Hmm, sounds like something Dickens would say. Yes, real world, real word. It is a real word. It actually, it's, I've got, this is a simple term that refers to being confused, perplexed, or flustered, or the cause of confusion. That's really good. That That's is a real Douglas word. Douglas is going to be in about 10 minutes' time. Oh, sounds <laughs> like my... <laughs> Okay. Sounds like most of my days, yeah. The, the next one is snickersnee. Is that a real word or not a real word? Ah, uh, no, it's a candy bar. It's ah. it is I, a re- not a real world. I, I don't know. I don't know. No, I'm, no, I, no, I no, no, It's 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 actually. You think? Do you think it's real or do you think it's not a real word? I think it's a real word. It is actually. It's a long, dangerous knife. A snickersnee. Two out of two. Yeah. A snickersnee. The next one is smarty pook. Smarty pook. Do you think that is a real word or not a real word? While I've been called that in the past, I don't think it's the real word. <laughs> no, it is not a real word. It's not in the dictionary. The next okay. one is... What is now? <laughs> <laughs> the next one is Widdershins. I don't know. Yes, real word. Yes. It's something that's moving in the wrong direction. Next one is Bumberfluff. Bumberfluff, actually. Hmm. Uh, real word. That one's not a real word. That was totally made up. That is a figment of Grace's sick and twisted imagination. But you know what's interesting, guys, is these will all become uh, words because I mean, of we are trying power to of your because of the power of your audience and your, I mean, well, exactly. you know, we're going to start using it. <laughs> and so you're going to go into the OED or something like that, and they're going to say the first known instance of this word. Uh, was <laughs> since records was, began. was talking yes. to that Douglas fella influential <laughs> podcast by these two gentlemen from the north of England. <laughs> the go. next one is this is number six, I think, is wabbit, not not rabbit, but wabbit. Uh, real word. It, it is, is actually a Scottish term for being exhausted. So you're at five points ah. so far. You've only missed one. Here's the the next one. With a name like Douglas, you would think I should know more Scottish words. <laughs> <laughs> a few more, a few perhaps. The next one is uh, Char Piddle. Char Piddle. Well, that sounds real to me. 
it's unfortunately not a real world, but like you say, it will be, I'm sure, from now on. <laughs> it's, it's, my miss office. it's my favorite one so far, Bob Nobles. Bob Nobles? He does. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, it just sounds so pornographic. I'll say not a real word. It's not a real word, but if you have got it, please go and see a doctor. The next one is Catty yes. Ka- Wampus. Catty Wampus. Oh, that's a real word. It is a real word. I'm going to try and squint and see what it actually means. It is I've heard of it. To Doesn't some- it mean sort of out of, out of, uh, out of whack, out of yeah. Yeah. disarray? Order. Yeah, out Extra of order. points for knowing the definition. Sure, it is working out there. There he is. And, and the, the last one, one is diphthong. <laughs> diphthong, real word. It is. It is. It's two vowel sounds joined together to make one sound. Yes. There you go. So I think in that... So if I got more than five, does it mean I get to continue on with this interview? Or is yeah, that... Yeah, basically, you're allowed to live. Yes. It's, 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 I think that was eight out of ten. I think it was eight out of ten. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Cheesy radio clapping. Back to the interview then. Back to this buyer personas malarkey. So we're going to start from... We're going to spend some time diving into this and finding out what our customers want, what they do, what, what motivates them, and all this stuff that we've been talking about so far. It sounds lovely, so, doesn't so it? Now we've got this sheet of paper or this whiteboard or this document of some description. What do we do with that next? Like, what's the immediate next step? Like, how do we present it? I want to know. Like, we've, we've scribbled all this stuff down and made some decisions. I mean, I've seen, I've been to some people's really like sort of high tech companies, and we are a tech company, of course, that responds to me, but we don't have like a big wall with our buyer personas on it telling us to lead towards the customer. But, some people do. What's a really useful, in a practical sense, you're an agency, you deal with buyer personas all the time. What the heck do you do with all this information now you decide upon it? You put it in a, a beautiful binder and let it collect dust. Please, oh, for goodness sake, please. No. Well, at that point, um, you, you then, you, you also start to show, well, at least for we do, we start to say, all right, well, here's some of the, as a result of this, here is the content that we could be producing for your sales team and for your website that they could then be offering. And normally the salespeople will say, oh, that's great. When can I get it? Mm-hmm. Um, but also operations folks start to see this and think, oh my gosh, that means we could probably stop doing certain things we're doing because it's just not really very important, but we should probably offering these kind of services as well. So from, from our standpoint, we're trying to, you know, arm these companies with information that will help them get found, but also help uh, their sales team with the, uh, with the sales process. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, you can start to use it that way, but that's, uh, I, the, the next thing I would suggest is you, you uh, make sure everyone understands and, and agrees to this and discuss it, then give that person a name. And the reason you want to give them an, a fake name, um, maybe a... Uh, made up name. Like Bob a made up name, right. Bob, Bob uh, like And Bob maybe, Bob. like, let's say you're selling, um, let's say you're selling this fictional product called widgets. And this guy is the widget buyer. You could call him Widget Wally. Well, what happens is you, you then bring them to life. Let's say you say, here's an example of who he is. And, you know, does it, is it usually a male or a female? And what kind of position do they have? And, you know, you kind of have an idea of that already. And uh, what happens is, you know you're successful in introducing this concept of buyer personas when you start to hear conversations with people at your company and they're referring to Widget Wally. Hmm. In other words, um, Jeff Bezos, uh, Amazon founder, uh, they are very customer focused. In other words, they, they you know, there's basically, I like to say there's three kinds of companies. Companies that are very, very focused on themselves and their products and their operations. I think that's the majority of companies. Mm-hmm. That's their primary focus. Others are primarily focused on their competition. In other words, they, that seems to drive a lot of their strategic decisions and, right. uh, and they'll never admit it. The third kind of company is just really focused on their customers. They observe them. They watch what they do. And that's uh, Amazon. Mm. And so word is uh, when... He Bezos goes to a meeting in, in yes. Amazon. There's an empty chair at empty the meeting, right? And he invariably points at the chair because somebody's talking about something that just is is gonna um, offend or not delight whoever that the customer is. Yeah. And then what happens is, if people are preparing for those meetings with the boss man, they'll say, "Oh crap! You know what? He's gonna point at that chair." And then they say, "Oh, that's right, the customer. I forgot about that." Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. This isn't going to do well with the, 
whatever they call their 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 buyer persona. Mm-hmm. But it it starts to focus the company more on the on the customer. So I mean, there's a, those are a few things that you can do to to start to introduce this. But I think that um, this isn't really going to work well at companies where there isn't a certain uh, humility. Right. Meaning they, a lot of companies are just, look, we know what we want. We know better than the customer. Um, you know, I'll say, uh, sometimes I'll be talking to a company and they'll say, now we already know about our customer. Okay. Okay. Well, first off, I, that tells me that this, yeah. this probably isn't going to work and that they are very focused on themselves. So here's a little trick. And I want to mention that we talked about this. I can't remember what book interview it was, but we talked about doing this and a listener in Pennsylvania, the United States, she did this. She got promoted and she said it's because of this. I think she was probably because she was a very smart person listening to the marketing book podcast. I mean, you know. What happens is she said, okay, great. Um, what I want everyone to do is think of a character from uh, a TV show. Um, like, you know, something everyone's seen. Mm-hmm. Like the office, either the British version or the American version. Okay. Mm-hmm. Pick out a character and everyone's seen it or whatever the movie is or, or whatever it is. Okay. On this piece of paper, write down everything you know about that customer. And then they start to, uh, you know, they, 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 it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. They start writing down all these funny things they know about them and what their motivations are and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, so we're finished doing that. Now turn the paper over and write down everything you know about our customer. Oh, I'd love to see how much blank space there is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and at that point, the head of the company, I think the head of sales was like, busted. Oh man, that hurts. <laughs> <laughs> so then they said, well, we better, you know, go, go get that book and read it and do some, get somebody to do some, of these, uh, do some of these interviews. And so they went down that path. But when a uh, head of the company says, you got me, I'm busted. We... we you know, we don't know as much as we should about our customers. And if we did, we would be uh, much more successful. In fact, we would be more successful, not just getting new customers, we would be selling more to our current customers, which as we all know, is the easiest, fastest mm-hmm. revenue. Yeah, absolutely. And we talk about it literally every single day. It's the reason we exist as Response Suite is for that exact reason. You are singing from the same hymn sheet as us. But with that said, I do want to interrupt proceedings for a second time. And that's to play our second and favorite game here at the podcast. Now, this is how it works. My colleague Kennedy here. Hello. That's him. He's going to sing a song for you now, Douglas. But he's going to sing a song in the style of a traditional British pub singer. And that means that some of the words will be somewhat confused and disguised. Your job, Douglas, and dear listener at home, is simply to guess what song Kennedy is singing. Colin in our office was having a little jig. I think he's got it. I think Colin's got it. Has Douglas got it though? I'm supposed to tell you what uh, what, what famous massive hit song that was. Oh, I almost had it, but I, um, I'm, I'm afraid I, I, uh, don't worry. I think in the history of the podcast so far, only like four people have ever got it. And one of them was a Christmas song. So it didn't really count. That was obviously, I mean, there are people screaming at their wirelesses <laughs> right now. <laughs> and it was of course, Elton John, Don't Go Breaking My Heart. Featuring oh, of course. You even did Kiki D. I even did Kiki D's bit. I had a split personality for a minute there. You know what? I think that went through my subconscious, but I wasn't able to retrieve it into my part of my brain. So well, well played, good sir. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Douglas. So let's say we've now got these personas. We've named them, right? We've got a real sense of them. Just to, just to bring us up right up to the quick fire round that we're about to head into. When you've now got these and you're working with a client, what are the first places you say immediately to go and affect with the customer personas to make a big impact fast? Well, we start with creating, we, we, we create content. That's kind of the line of work we're in. But mm-hmm. what we do is rather than, so you, your listeners may be familiar with, you know, there's sort of top of the funnel awareness content and then there's 
middle of the funnel uh, consideration content, yeah, decision down at the bottom. What we do is uh, we don't go in that order. What we want to do is start producing content for uh, prospects and customers who are, who are about ready to buy. <laughs> we wow. want to we right get on that bottom bit. We want to start at the bottom and work our way up because we want huh. to be of greatest service to the, uh, the sales process. Um, so, in other words, let's not start creating, you know, uh, pillar pages and, uh, you know, uh, high-level, uh, top-of-the-funnel awareness content if we've got people that want to hand our client money tomorrow. But also, you could easily waste money and time and effort putting all that top of the funnel stuff, and there's nothing to move them down to. So you may exactly as well exactly build. I'm not, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. So start at the start at the bottom for the people that you know are in the pipeline that these folks are talking to. You're going to need all of it anyway, uh, in, in various forms. Mm-hmm. But let's let's do what we can to uh, get those first survivors on the lifeboat. Hmm. So you go straight in there, you've got the personas, you go straight in there and you'd, you'd produce some of that bottom of the funnel content, content, which is all about that conversion bit at the very end. Right. And that could include um, uh, all the content, you know, back to the decision criteria, the buyer's journey, so start creating uh-huh. content like email templates for the sales force, you know, uh, mm-hmm. whatever they need uh, at that point. And then you can start to work your way back, but let's not waste those leads that they've been working on that are pretty close to to closing. Mm-hmm. Let's not start with the content for someone that's going to buy in six months. Let's, let's start and work our way up. But also let's not add more pain to them who, where you bring in more leads and they're just going, yeah, this is lovely and everything guys, but we have, we can't convert because the buyer persona is not included in our bloody sales process now. It's, it's not yeah. at the very bottom. So we're just like backing it up and backing it up. <laughs> right. Yes, that's right. I think that, and careful listeners to my podcast will know that, um, what we're sort of walking around here is sales and marketing alignment Mm. and too much of uh, marketing is not very well aligned with sales. Right. And this is an example of some of the first things that a a marketing person can be doing. And there was a, there's this talk I've, I've been asked to give a few times after we hit, after I think the first 200 episodes and it was like seven big takeaways. Yeah. We were talking about that, weren't we? The other day. Yeah. Yeah, from 200 books. And, and one of the seven takeaways, because you have to have an odd number, you know, it's marketing <laughs> law. Yeah. Um, I could have had nine or, or five. And, and, you know, if you but need me to six. give that talk, I'll, I'll, I'll work with you. No, but uh, <laughs> one of them was the best marketers have a deep understanding of sales. And that's more important now than even three years ago. Wow. Yeah, of course. Of course. Because now it's quite difficult if you look at a lot of things. We had a discussion here in the response we office about, is this thing, this activity we're doing, email marketing, is that a marketing activity or is it a sales activity? Like, can you really pull those two things apart? Like, that's no. Tricky. And it's, it's funny because there's a, you know, there's this uh, long-held notion of, let's say, uh, marketing had the top half of the funnel and sales had the bottom. So in other words, it's like marketing ran the first lap around the track and they would hand the baton off to the sale, to the sales team yep. and they would finish uh, the race. No, <laughs> they're both running, holding the baton now yep. because it's so, uh, it's, it's become so blurred. And the reason it's become blurred is because uh, that's the, the changing way that, that people buy. And there was a, yet another book on the podcast called Align to Achieve. And it was written by these Two uh, executives at a software company, one was head of sales, one was head of marketing, uh, Tracy Eiler and uh, Andrea Austin. And they wrote this book about what they did to get the two working together, which of course generated uh, faster growth and greater profitability. Wow. And throughout the book, they touched on what you were just describing there, which was uh, this refrain throughout the book was, sales can't do it alone and marketing exists to make sales easier. (laughs) <laughs> and that when I say make sales easier for all you salespeople listening, that doesn't mean marketing's getting coffee for sales. It means marketing exists to make sales easier for the customer. Ah. Make it easier for them to buy, but also make it easier for the salespeople to be uh, providing information and insights that are going to be helpful for that customer. Because at this point, if all your salespeople are doing is offering information that your customers can get elsewhere, 
they're not they're not going to be salespeople much longer. Right. Right. And they've got to be working in, they've got to be working in tandem because gone are the days now I feel where the, the outbound marketing sort of reps would then blame the, Oh yeah, I did a really good job of my bit, my marketing bit, but the reps are, are they're terrible at closing. Now that's like yeah. a dual tandem responsibility where like, Hey, you've got to work together. This is going to be one aligned thing. And we do that through pointing in the same direction, which is towards that named persona, that one customer. Well, yeah, absolutely. And that's where, um, a lot of, uh, well, companies like yours, uh, software as a service companies, you're starting to see more and more of them just eliminate a sales department and a marketing department. And they're, it's all the revenue team. Yeah. And they hold this one person responsible and they say, we don't care who you hire. <laughs> we want the revenue needle to move. And they're aligned around the buyer persona, of course, um, but also they're aligned around revenue. Start talking about revenue first and then do the math backwards. And if, if, if sales and marketing get, can get aligned around what the revenue goals are, that's really helpful. And then the other thing, one other of several, that's really helpful for uh, these companies to try to get their marketing and sales aligned is agree on what a qualified lead looks like. That's it. That's a it. A qualified and- lead. That's where a lot of this buyer persona comes in. But it's also like if, if a marketing person has ever heard uh, a salesperson say the leads are weak um, and, you know, you guys are incompetent or, and you're bad people, whatever, uh, they, <laughs> whatever they say, yeah. you know, that's where you need to say, okay, well, maybe they are bad leads. What would be a good lead? And just that answering a company working towards what is a good lead? Oh, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, pretend you got a magic wand here. What, what makes for a good lead? Oh, well, and then, here's another little ninja trick. If they say, well, I don't know, I got to think about that. Come back at them with this and say, what, is your wor- what is our worst customer? If there were cu- a type of customer we would like to fire and get rid of, who would that be? There's always uh, just a nanosecond before somebody answers that because every company can tell you, oh no, we don't like these kind of customers. They're not profitable. We don't like mm-hmm. them. They're, they're a bad fit. Okay, yeah. great. Well, now that gets us a little closer to what, what is an ideal customer for us? Okay, so there you go. Absolutely love that. And I just want to say one other thing I absolutely love is the idea of a single revenue team. I've written that down on my pad right now, a revenue team. That is what it's about. Now, Douglas, we're going to jump over into the quick fire round. You don't want to miss out on more of these fabulous nuggets, do you? Make sure you subscribe to the Three Marketers podcast now on your podcast player. Douglas, question number one, and this is going to be a really hard one for you, but we ask every guest one single book you'd recommend. Buyer Personas by Adele Ravella. Okay. <laughs> Without a flinch. <laughs> Can you give us one? I was talking about it, but there are um, 229 others that I would like to mention at this time. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. We'll, uh, we'll, just, we'll just fast forward through that bit. Thank you. Welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> Can you give us one of your top success habits, something you do like daily or weekly or regularly? Top success habits. Oh my goodness. Um, well, you know, since I'm the read all these books, um, if you are a marketer uh, or any kind of business person or whatever line of work you're in, if you can commit to some sort of ongoing learning, mm. you will do well. And there's all kinds of research that shows that big learners these days are big earners. Mm. And it's at a time and that, you know, so what do I do? Well, I, I read a book a week, but you know, there's other things you can do. You can listen to podcasts like this one. You know, you can, you can do other kinds of things. But if you have some sort of regular commitment to learning, you'll do well. And uh, this is at a time when companies spend less on training their own people. Yeah. But there was another book on the podcast called Marketing Flexology by this uh, marketer. And she'd had a you know, pretty long career. And she started to, sh- she analyzed the people that had done well. And one of the top things that they all did well, or that they did, was that they had an ongoing commitment to uh, learning. So, in other words, uh, like your listeners, they could, depending on what line of work they're in, they could say, I want to stay certified on uh, Google Analytics or Google AdWords or HubSpot. They've got uh, about a dozen um, free certifications that aren't even about their product. They're just teaching. We have a new employee come in. We have them take all these certifications. It goes in your LinkedIn profile. Just sort of an ongoing commitment to improving yourself. Uh, it's, uh, that would be um, something that could be uh, enormously helpful. And I think 
listen to the marketing book podcast. I think. I mean, if, that would be that if would be you the listen best to thing, that. Right? Like voting for Pedro, all your dreams will come true. <laughs> so what are some, who is an entrepreneur or a business person or a marketer who you look up to? Oh boy, there's so many, there's so many. But I would say, I have great, uh, let's, let's talk about the Douglas Burdett man crush list. I'll tell you another one. Um, besides Marcus Sheridan and many others, uh, David Merriman Scott. Yeah, yeah. David's amazing. So, there are two books that have had the biggest impact on my career. And the first one was after I got out of the army. I was in the army in uh, Germany and went back to the States and started studying business. And um, one of my friends from the army who was working up in New York, he said, have you ever thought about going into advertising? And I said, I don't know anything about that. So I went back to school and asked a professor, all right, what's one book I could read about this to figure out if I like it? And she gave me a copy of Ogilvy on Advertising. Ha. Huh which was, it was a fairly new book. This was in the 1980s. And I read that and said, oh my goodness, that's it. That's what I want to do. I then went off to work on Madison Avenue in New York and it just, it it really ignited things. And then years later, because I was, I was pretty much in the ad game for a long time. And uh, my own firm was, you know, advertising. Um, We'll talk later about how much the show Mad Men was pretty much my life. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> the advertising part, not all the drinking, smoking, and uh, sex. So um, then that whole world started changing. The whole advertising industrial complex was crumbling. And I thought, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? It's, uh, I'm too young to retire. And uh, what am I going to do? And one day I stumbled upon a copy of David Merriman Scott's first edition of The New Rules of Marketing and PR. And I had that same revelation where I said, that's it. That's where it's going. I then pivoted my business to that over time and got going. And now it's in its sixth edition. It's been out for, for 10 years. And um, a lot of times people say, what's one book I could read about um, you know, marketing and understanding this whole world? Because it really has changed. And I always recommend that. Make sure to read the latest uh, edition though. So David Merriman Scott, I just think he's such a visionary and is a fantastic writer. And I uh, think that um, he probably thought, you know, if after a few years, people were going to understand what he was talking about. For the rest of his days, he's going to be explaining the whole, this whole concept of, you know, basically the buyer has control now, the seller doesn't. You need to produce content that is uh, very appealing to your customers and, uh, you know, things like that. But basically, uh, I think he's at the forefront of always explaining something akin to... Um, what I have to struggle with where sometimes I'm, I'm talking to groups and they, it's like I'm explaining that the earth rotates around the sun <laughs> instead of the sun around the earth. And I'm sure you all must, you know, encounter that as well. So mm-hmm. I would say David Merriman Scott. Great. What are some of your favorite apps that you think are super cool or maybe run your business right now? Let me suggest one. Well, you know, we use a bunch of the software, but there's one that I use for a personal thing called Nozbe, N-O-Z-B-E. Okay. What's that? And it's like a, a task a list manager. Okay. Uh, it's on your phone. It's, it's on the computer and it's got little projects. It's, it's fairly simple and it's based, um, it's based on David Allen's book, uh, Getting Things Done. Mm. Heard of that? Okay. It's just a very, it's, it's very, very simple, but I doggone it. I, <laughs> I've been using it for years and it's, wow. uh, it's worth checking out. And actually, I think the, uh, the founder of that company, a uh, Polish fella, he, he wrote a book uh, about productivity. So if, I think if you go to their website, you can find out, you can probably download the, the ebook of it. But it's, it's, it's just very simple. You know, we use um, teamwork software, which is you know, a little more complicated. Um, and we don't use all of it, but Nozbe is very simple and it's, it's, it's just good for, it's sort of like a personal task manager. I'm sure there's other good ones out there, but that's, that's one that I wanted to mention that a lot of people... That sounds have. great. I've not heard of that one before. I will certainly check it out. So big important question, our favorite question. Who would you like more, redhead Rob or platinum haired Kennedy? Oh boy. Um, that's like saying, which of my kids do I like better? I mean, the choice is easy, right? With the kids, but like this is tricky. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to go, Rob, don't hate me for this, but I'm going to go with Kennedy. And here's why. Because you go by one name. 
And I think that's important from a branding standpoint, sort of like uh, Cher and Madonna and, mm-hmm. um, and Sting. Ellen. Sting, who is Sting. from your, your area of He's England. from our city. Absolutely, Sting is from yeah. our city. Is yeah. this how I unplug the internet? Thank you for that. I vote for Kennedy. I love that. Finally, most importantly, Douglas, where can people go to find out more about you? They can go to marketingbookpodcast.com, which directs them to a section of our agency website about uh, the marketing book uh, podcast uh, on Twitter, on marketing book. But what I would most like is for folks to connect with me on LinkedIn. As I say this to all my listeners, um, and that is if, connect with me on LinkedIn and then tell me if there's like a specific challenge you have or a, if you're looking for a specific recommendation on a book, let me help you. Because every day I'm getting messages from listeners saying, what's a book about this specific topic? And I'm more often than not able to suggest to them one book to get them started uh, because I don't want them to read 229 others. That's going to waste their time. If I can help with that, please let me know. Or if there's some other there's some other resource I can point them to. But my name is Douglas Burdett. Absolutely. We'll link to all of that in the show notes. Douglas, it's been great hanging out with you. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. And do you know what's really good about that and what nobody's aware of at all is you think the interview was good. We, we did something we've never done with any guests before or, or since really. We had a lock-in. We had a lock-in. We basically, we were chatting for like over an hour with Douglas after, after the recording, which was absolutely brilliant. He is one of, is he not one of the most connected people you've ever met. Yeah. If you want to speak to somebody, you can. And in fact, we actually said, would you mind hooking us up with some of these people we'd love to have on the podcast? And well, let me tell you, they're going to be coming very soon. So that's yeah, we awesome. can't wait. We've got some absolute blinders coming up. Some people who I'm a little bit nervous about. I'm not going to lie. There's one guy who I'm like, oh, wow. I can't believe we get to speak to him and talk to him. Wow. What a privilege it is. By the way, talking to privilege, it really is an absolute honor to have you as our, our listener. We really appreciate every single one of you. Do us a massive favor. Let us know your big takeaway. Let us know what it is you, you love about the podcast. Give us a review over on iTunes or Stitcher. You can do all of that at just head over to responsesuite.com forward slash iTunes or use your favorite podcast player, whatever it is that, we, uh, that you're using to listen to this right now. I love that. What was, what was your sort of big takeaway from Douglas's interview? There was that sort of five-prong uh, bit of the buyer personas. I can't remember what he exactly called it, but the five-prong bit of the buyer persona thing, I think makes a lot of sense as you start to dig into it, really. I just love the way it sort of drives everything forward. I really, really love that. Of course, if you've missed anything or you couldn't move, if you were in a place where you couldn't take notes, we've put all the notes together for you over at blog.responsesuite.com slash 066. All the show notes and all the links and everything we talked about in the episode are all over there as usual. And yeah, give us a tweet at Response Suite. We'd love to hear what you've got to say. Anything more from you? No, we'll see you next week. See ya. Don't miss a thing. Don't miss a thing. Check out the show notes at blog.responsesuite.com.